0: Father God, thank you for the reminder today that you are king. We pray by your spirit you would illuminate these words and open up the eyes of our hearts. Lord, in this moment, it can be very easy for us to miss this. I pray, God, that you would help us. You invite us into hearing your word, and there's so many distractions, there's so many things going on in our mind, Lord. In the theater of our mind, I pray that we would unplug all of those distractions and that we would just have a posture of intentionally opening up our hearts to you. We submit to your word. May it do its work in every corner of our life. In your name we pray together. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and King, we pray. Amen. A question for you this morning is, do you have trust issues? Anybody here have trust issues? I know my kids, they have some trust issues with driving with dad. In particular, my son Nolan, uh, once a week, maybe twice a week, I get to take the kids to school. And somehow... Even though we do this every single week, all the time, I, I, I tend to get a little distracted, and, f- and we take like five or ten minutes longer to get home. I remember the other day we were driving back, and I was like, hey, Nolan, you want to try a new way? And he's like, Dad, please don't. Just go on the freeway, take the exit. If this was Mom, it'd be different, because Mom will get me there. But, but I, I don't know, Dad, because, and the reason is because I have broken his trust many a times and found ourselves um, like mixing the fairmead exit. And drive. I mean, I just, I'm the distracted driver oftentimes. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of just the trust issues that I have when I was sitting there filling out my ballot for voting this week and reading through all these names of people to vote for and just wondering... Actually, not really wondering, just kind of sighing and saying, can I really trust these people? Luckily, there's a few in there that I was excited to vote for, but oftentimes I found myself asking, is there a leader that I can trust? Really a longing in me to have leaders in our country, in our world that we can trust. This idea of longing to trust, I think, is happening here as we read 2 Kings. If you've been following along in our reading plan, it started so good with King David, the great king of Israel, the man after God's own heart, and then we have King Solomon, and it starts to go good but he kind of starts to, to veer off and then it just turns into a big dumpster fire. And we have one bad king after another bad king. And oftentimes we read and he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Every once in a while, there's these little glimmers. And today in 2 Kings, we get a glimmer. It seems to be that we have a king that we can trust. A king we can trust. That's what I'm titling today's. Sermon, a king that we can trust. And this king's name, as we're following along, his name is Hezekiah. And there's a couple things that we learn in, in this passage here. It's an autobiography, and in 2 Kings 18, it kind of describes the reign of King Hezekiah. The rest of chapter 18, 19, and 20 gives you some insights into the little moments he has, but it opens up with these eight verses that shows us why Hezekiah was a king that the people could trust. And the first thing that we see here in these first four verses is that he was a king without compromise. Isn't this true that as we think about our leaders, we want strong leaders of integrity and character that don't compromise? Amen? And we see this in Hezekiah, and this sets him apart from all the other kings before him. It's really interesting the way that he is described in these four verses. It says this: it says, in the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel. Now remember, as we read Kings, there's a there's a kingdom of Israel and a kingdom of Judah, and we're constantly flashing back. And forth. So at the time, there's this king of Hosea who's reigning over Israel. We learned about him earlier. He's, a, he's an evil king. Because Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz, an evil king. Hezekiah's father, an evil king. It says that he did evil in the eyes of, of the Lord. And we're kind of setting ourselves up. Here we go. Like father, like son, right? He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. You can feel yourself with the people of Israel, with God's people as we read this text, this anticipation, this, could it be, it says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David, his father, had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. This is, these are the monuments that were made for worship. The high places were the places of worship where the, the previous kings had erected false gods and, and, and places for the, the people of God to worship these false gods. And these, these uh, columns or these pillars represented the male deities and the Asherah represented the female deities. And unlike all the other kings before him, it says that he, he removed them. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. So not only did Hezekiah say, no, we're no longer going to be serving these false gods and, these, and worshiping these things. He, he had no compromise there. There were also things within the, the, the tradition of God's people, this, this, this snake, this, this, this imagery that had become an idol and he's just saying no compromise we need to be a people that give back to the to the to the great commandments that says to love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind we must not have no other gods before yahweh and he was the first king it says that had no compromise this is huge This is a huge part as we look to be leaders, as we look towards leaders, is that we want to have leaders that do not compromise the convictions and the ways of our Lord. You see, earlier, there were some other glimmers of hope. There was a king named Asa. It said that he did what was right in the eyes of God earlier in Kings. But the interesting thing is, it says also, but he did not remove the high places. Even though he said, I'm going to live with integrity, I'm going to live with character, I'm not going to worship those things, as a leader, he still allowed those things to be happening in in the place that he led. And as we think on this, as we reflect on this, we see that in the family of God, in the people of God, we must have leaders who do not compromise. And we see this in Hezekiah. But probably even more important than his character and his determination to not compromise, there's also this incredibly important trait about Hezekiah, is that he was a king who learned to trust in the Lord. He was a king who learned to trust in the Lord. Look at what it says here in the following four verses. It says this. It says, He trusted, verse 5, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he, look at what it says here, he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses and the Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. He, he trusted in the Lord. He held on to the Lord. This is the only other king besides King David in the beginning who it says that the Lord was with him. It's interesting, it's also, we remember, there's only one other king who has victory over the Philistines, if you remember the story of David and Goliath and the Philistines. And so as we read this, we're wondering, could this be like great King David when we were in our prime and everything was righteous and everything was good and we were winning all these battles? Could Hezekiah be this king? He's he's a king without compromise, He's a king who learned to trust. Could he be? And we can see here that he trusted the Lord, but the reason why I say that he's a king who learned to trust, if you follow along, you can see that Hezekiah had some learning to do in the area of trust. We read here that he was a king who trusts, but it took some work in him. Just after this verse, you'll see that the king of Assyria, who had just defeated the other uh, kingdom of Israel, who had been defeating everywhere, he was a very uh, intimidating and powerful king. That he's making a march against Jerusalem and heading to Judah. And King Hezekiah hears of this, that in, in the rest of chapter 18, it says that he goes into the temple and he takes all of the, the, the treasures of the temple, all of these sacred items that, that, that God had set up for, for the worship of God. And he grabs all of the treasures and he sends them to the king and says, hey, just take this as payment. Please don't attack us. He, he holds off the king for a little bit, but then the king starts to say, no, I'm going to go take Jerusalem. Long story short, the king says, I'm, I'm coming after that. And then he sends this letter to Hezekiah. And in the letter to Hezekiah, he basically says, not just that I'm going to take you out, but also he mocks Hezekiah's God. He says, I have defeated all of the gods of this place, and I'm going to defeat your God. And he mocks him. It kind of brings echoes of, of the story of David and Goliath. And in chapter 19, you see Hezekiah, all of a sudden, you can see him starting to learn to trust. You see, first he goes into the temple and grabs all the treasures and brings them out. Then, in chapter 19, something changes in him, and, he's, and he goes into the temple, and he prays. It says that he goes into the temple in verse 14 of chapter 19 and he lays before the Lord this letter. One of my favorite commentaries highlighted in this prayer, we don't have time to look at it, I would encourage you, if you ever want to follow a good model of prayer, follow this model in chapter 19. We see a model of trust in Hezekiah. And the model of trust could be was summarized in this commentary that I really liked. It said this, First we see in, in verse 14 that he takes it to the Lord. It says in, in verse 14 of chapter 19 that, that Hezekiah lays before the Lord his burden, his struggle, this, this, this call out, this, this, this evil king. But then in his prayer, he recognizes God's greatness. Before unloading on God, before giving him his, his, his heart, he remembers who God is. This is so huge in our prayers that sometimes we miss. We want to get straight into the petitions, and sometimes we need to spend some time reminding ourselves about who our God is. Reminding ourselves about what our confession is that God created all the universe, that He spoke it into existence, that He loves me, that He cares for me. And so we see Him recognizing God's greatness. And then in verse 16 he, through 18, He unloads the problem to God. He says, This is what's going on, Lord. And we can see this if you go and read the Psalms, the prayer book of God's people. Time and time again, you'll see King David or other Psalms that the people of God have been singing and praying for thousands of years of just unloading our hearts to God. Psalms of lament, Psalms of request, Psalms of praise. And we see this here, he unloads the problem to God and then he seeks the help of God. He says, Lord, would you help me? Would you save me? And finally, he treasures the glory of God. He says, "Help save me, God, for Your glory, so that the nations could see." And I love the way that they did it. it spells out trust. T R U S T. Isn't that cool? I didn't come up with that, but it was good. So I want to. I want to give it to you. You're welcome. So we see this, and, we, and, and we, we read this, and we think, finally, a king we can trust. But we also just know that there's kind of this broken record in the Old Testament. We're constantly looking for this promised seed all the way back in Genesis when God says, I will bring a promised seed and he will crush the serpent's head, but it will bite the heel. And we're constantly following these lines, the line of Abraham, the line of David, and we're wondering, could Hezekiah be this Messiah? But as we read it, we can see that Hezekiah was a model, not a savior. As a matter of fact, in chapter 20, we read that he gets really sick, and he, and he goes before the Lord, he trusts the Lord, he prays to the Lord, and the Lord, it says that the Lord sees him, hears his cry, hears his heartbreak, heals him, and out of this, he has all of this success. And in chapter 20, it says that these Babylonians come, and they want to meet the great king Hezekiah. And it says that Hezekiah, without seeking the Lord, all of a sudden he forgets about the taking things to the Lord. He starts to become a little bit arrogant. A little, His ego starts to grow, and we see this pattern. He invites them over, and he says, hey, come check out all the great stuff that I have. Look at this great water system that I put in. Look at how great and wonderful my kingdom is. And Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, shows up. We're going to be studying Isaiah during Advent. It's going to be so fun right after this. And basically Isaiah comes up to Hezekiah and he says, "Hezekiah, you've drifted." And because of your sin, because of your ego, because you're not no because, because of the way that you have drifted in this way, these same Babylonians that you have invited over, they're going to come and they're going to take your children and your grandchildren and they're going to oh, they're going to defeat Judah and take them into exile to Babylon. And we know that there'll be 400 years of exile. And what hit me so hard as I was reading this, as I was heartbroken because I read Hezekiah and I think finally a king we can trust and I'm like, oh, he's, he's another human. Look at what he says in chapter 20. And as I read this, ask yourself if you don't fall into this same trap. It said that Isaiah comes to Hezekiah, and Isaiah tells Hezekiah, long story short, there's your kids and your grandchildren are going to have issues. You're going to be okay. And Hezekiah says, in chapter 20, verse 19, says, as Hezekiah says to the prophet Isaiah. The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, why not? If there will be peace and security in my days. I read that and I wondered. Has this maybe been my attitude perhaps on the days that we are in? Can it be easy to fall into, well it does seem like maybe we're on a trajectory towards life for my children or my grandchildren maybe not being as comfortable and safe as mine was. But that'll be their problem. Or maybe I read this and I look at this and I think through this and I ask myself, how can I be a leader in my home? How can I be a leader in in my community, a leader in my church who does not compromise a leader who trusts in the Lord, and then I find ways that I've drifted like Hezekiah. I find ways that, that I've allowed arrogance or pride or ego to mess things up. Because really the deep problem is not so much in what I do, it's what's within me. It's this problem that we talk about time in and time again called sin. Sin. Or even the greatest leaders seem to fall. And we read this all the time. We see this in the church. We see this all throughout of these people that we, we, we lift up and we say, oh, we'll follow him. He has no compromise. We'll follow her. She can trust. She, she trusts God. And then they fall. They, 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 they're human. Don't miss this church. There is a king we can trust. See, I, I got goosebumps thinking about this. Like, like as we look at Hezekiah, Hezekiah is a foreshadowing of a good of a good king who will come. We're meant to read this knowing that the whole story of scripture is all leading to Jesus Christ, who the son of God, who would come as a baby, born of a virgin, live a perfect life and die on a cross for you and for me to deal with the sin in my life so that I can trust in the Lord and receive his righteousness. So my unrighteousness and my sin goes on him. This is the good news. Jesus is the king we can trust. Look at this as you look at ballots, as you think about our country, as you think about our city, as you think about your home, as you think about our church. Do not miss this. Do not put your hope in these leaders. Do not put all of your hope in these parties. All of this, is is, is, they're all humans. They're all great at times, and they're all going to fall. But we are a people of the king. When we say that we are invited to live in the kingdom work, that's because we have a king who reigns in our hearts, who gives us his, who gives us his spirit. And unlike Hezekiah, when he is faced with this prophecy about the generations to come, and he says, I'll just, it's a good word, it's good for good for me. I'll let them deal with that. I think of our Lord. I think of our, our Lord who in Philippians 2 it says that, that he emptied himself, even to the point of death on the cross. I think of our Lord who, who, who on the cross says he's dying on a cross. There's a thief next to him. And saying, Lord, would you remember me? And Our Lord, as he dies, says, don't worry, you will be with me in paradise later today because of your confession of me. There's a king we can trust. Dearly beloved, as you think on this, the question is, how can we learn to trust? How can we learn to trust? And I really believe that there's three points here that are very relevant to each of us today. And they're around three verbs. Raise up, root out, and hold fast. First, raise up. You got your Bibles, just go back to chapter 18. And I want you to notice a really interesting thing that really just caught my eye as I was reading it. There seems to be this formula when it talks about the kings and, their, and whether they did right in the eyes of God or evil in the eyes of God. Notice in chapter 18, there's this random reference to, I, to Hezekiah's mother. It says, his mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. And straight from that line, it goes, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. I think we miss the incredible challenge and the incredible hope in this moment. Think about Abby. She's married to evil King Ahaz. She's married to a husband who has who, has, who is evil and not living in the eyes, in, in, in the, in the eyes of God in, in the right way. But Abby, I believe, is here because the author wants us to know that she raised up her son, Hezekiah, at, in, in the ways of the Lord. I don't think that Hezekiah just like lightning bolt struck him and he happened to be one who, who knew the ways of God. No, he was he was raised in a house, in a home. I think this is a really encouraging word to that single mom or that single dad or or just that mom or that dad that, that, that maybe your spouse is not completely on board with your faith. And we can see the faithful prayers, the faithful discipline, the faithful rhythms of a mother who raised up her child in the Lord. I think about just a couple weeks ago, maybe it was last week when we had our family service. We had dedications and baptisms of babies. This is why we do this. We want to be a people who raise up our children in the Lord. And maybe, perhaps, as we think about this, maybe you feel some of the tension, some of the the concerns, some of the questions about our future here in the States. Perhaps some of the answers are not even Today they're in the next generation of our children, and so I left out in the notes. I just said raise up, and I wanted to put a space there. And I would encourage you to pray about maybe writing someone's name in there. I know for me, I just wrote my five kids, but it may be you're 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 a part of you're a Sunday school teacher. You have some relationships or some grandkids. Perhaps the Lord is reminding you today that they are our hope for the future. Raise up, but hear this also, root out idolatry. It can be really easy to read the books of the kings and be like, well, I'm so happy that we don't have idols today. And we miss the true definition of idols. Now, I don't think any of us have images that we're bowing down and worshiping um, physically. But really, idolatry can be summarized as just anything, any desire that is disordered. Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit God, gives a great definition of idolatry. He says, what is an idol? It is anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give, You, what only God can give. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. What do you worship? We're in the middle of a worship service. But if we evaluated our lives, perhaps there's some things that can creep in, some idols that we need to root out. And I say root out because I think that there's deep roots. we got to get in the soil and dig them out. We were talking about this in our small group just a couple weeks ago and really kind of had this collective agreement as families that we need to be always thinking, what are some of the ways that that we can can cave in to the ways of this world? I know for Brianna and I, we're constantly talking about our phones and our screens and media and how easy it is to to let those run our lives, let those be the catechism that we live by. So I would challenge you raise up the young, root out idolatry, but above all, hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hold fast to Jesus. In this passage, when it describes King Hezekiah, it doesn't say that he just trusted the Lord. It says he held fast to the Lord. I imagine in times when he is not compromising, when he is rooting out idolatry, that there's critics that say, "What are you doing? How dare you take this away from me? I don't. You're a horrible king. You're a horrible leader." I imagine there's times when he's wondering, oh my goodness, I don't know, the king of Assyria is going to take us out. The people, or he's so overwhelmed, or the darkness seems everywhere. But what was different about Hezekiah is he held fast to to, to the Lord. We are called to hold fast to our King. We are called into a, a right personal relationship with our Savior. And so I would just exhort you today, if there was one thing that you got from today, I would say, hold fast to the Lord. Hold fast to the Lord. Hold fast to the one. What was that great hymn we sing, He will hold me fast. That's the beauty of our gospel. That's the beauty of our confession. And so on this Lord's Day, as maybe you feel some angst, maybe you wonder who is the King we can trust, my prayer, church, is that we would always confess together. We have a King who we can trust, and his name is Jesus. Let's trust him. Amen. Pray. Jesus, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We are so grateful for the reminder on this day that we are called to be a people who trust. That Jesus, you are the ultimate example of leadership. And Lord, may we follow, may we, as we sang today, join you in your sacrifice, join you in the humble way of the cross. And Lord, I just pray right now, I just know that, that, that in this room there are people who are overwhelmed, people who are tired, people who, who aren't feeling anything, people who, who, who just are exhausted. Lord, I, I pray right now that we would hear your voice saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle in heart. I pray, God, that we would hold fast to you. I pray as we sing of your kingship, of your lordship over our lives, God, as we open up our hands in receiving your grace, I pray, God, that you would continue to change everything. We believe this. We believe you are our savior. And we just declare together that you are king. Help us to continue to keep you on the throne of our hearts and us at your feet. So have your way as we respond in worship. And we pray this together in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit.